week one of chapter two. But to catch you up on the story, if you haven't read it before or you haven't read it recently, uh, basically the start of Jonah is God's call. Jonah is a prophet um, of God, and he is called to go to this great city. At the time, it was one of the greatest cities in the world, known as Nineveh. God calls him there, and, and that call from God actually exposes his heart. That's the interesting thing about chapter 1. It's like I talked about last week. It's like a searchlight into Jonah's heart, because Jonah didn't want to go. He preferred for the people of Nineveh, who he thought were ugly, dirty people, he wanted them to be judged and to be damned and to die, something along those lines. And so he says, no, I, I'm not going. And he runs the opposite direction from the call of God for him to go to Nineveh. Gets on a boat, some really bad things happen, like a humongous storm, something along the lines of a hurricane, which we all saw the devastation of that recently. Um, and then he ends up being thrown off of the boat. The sailors on the boat discover that he is the reason for the storm, that God is pursuing him as he runs away, and thus he is thrown overboard by the sailors, falls into the water, and that is what brings us here to chapter 2. Now, um, a small point, but very important point. God also commanded a big fish to come along just as he was being thrown in. Now, I don't know if it occurred as he hit the water or after he sank down for a long time. I don't know, but God caused a fish to swallow him. And so this prayer we're going to read today is from the very belly of that fish. Here we go. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying... I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall... Again, look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in. They closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were literally wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. There you go, kiddos. Vomit. <laughs> I knew we could get it in at least once today during the sermon. You're welcome. Thanks be to God. We're going to journey this morning with Jonah. I think one of the best ways for us to really 
tackle a narrative like this is to actually go there uh, into the story. And that's what we're going to do today. You'll see in your outline, which is in a little insert in your bulletin if you're a note taker, you'll see there's three points. You need to be, because it's the Holy Trinity of the sermon. First one is we're going to journey down, and then we're going to look at the discovery that Jonah makes at the bottom while he's down there, covered up. Then we're going, finally, that's the second point, the discovery. And then finally, the last point is going to be the journey up. We're going to look at what Jonah means when he says, Lord, you have raised me up from the pit. You rescued me from down in the belly. So first, let's go down. Let's take the journey down. Jonah, if you look at the passage, when he says things like, um, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, the floods surround me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is trying to express the fact that he assumes he is either already dead or he is dying. He knows it. He said that to the sailors. He's like, if you want to be saved and you want the ship to go ahead and make it to shore, you're going to have to throw me in the water. And when he said that, he was like, and now I shall die. He had accepted the fate that was before him. If I get thrown into the sea, the sea is a representation in the Old Testament of chaos, of darkness, of death. And in reality, as we know even today, if you get tossed off a ship um, in the middle of the ocean, you're toast. You know, you might be able to tread water for a half an hour at best. Um, that's if you're an incredibly fantastic swimmer. If you're like me, it would be more like three and a half minutes. <laughs> but Jonah's in the midst of a massive storm. Waves are probably 25 feet high, and so he starts to go down immediately, or gets enveloped by the waves immediately. And what I think we have here, and this is one of my main points, my premise this morning as we dive into this passage, um, because the passage ultimately is about one thing, grace. If you get nothing else this morning, if I come to you this week and I say, hey, what was that sermon about from chapter 2 of Jonah? If you can say, it's about grace, we're good. Okay? Even if you fall asleep halfway through, grace. Just remember that. Grace. There's no quiz, but, you know, I want to go ahead and get that across. But the, my, my first point is this, this idea from Jonah. Death is the first step to finding the great discovery. The secret, I'm calling it this, at the heart of the universe. Death is the first step. Death to all your ambitions and plans and dreams. Death to all your achievements and progress and good deeds. Death to all your pleasures and preferences. Ultimately, death to yourself. Now, this is what Jesus tried to explain to us also in Matthew chapter 16. In verse 25, Jesus says this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is trying to get across to us that death is always the first step to finding the secret at the heart of the universe. Now, there's something you need to notice from our story. This is a really key point. <coughs> Jonah did not do this. He did not take this journey down voluntarily. Have you picked up on that yet in the story? Right? 
So God comes to Jonah. God calls Jonah. And of course, Jonah could have said, sure, God. Boom, let's go. Nineveh it is. I'll take a hotel room on the top floor. <laughs> he runs. Who causes the storm? God, right? Who causes the sailors to find out that it was Jonah? They cast lots. And when they cast lots, it basically means we're looking for the mind of God. God is the one who directed the wall of those particular dice or whatever they used at the time. I don't know what they did, flip a coin. God directed it. God is in charge of this entire process. Not only that, God directs it so that he's thrown into the ocean. God is the one who directs the fish to pop up, to swallow him. And there is this recognition, even by Jonah in this passage, if you see it, that he understands this is all taking place because of God. He gets it, a little bit of it. He says, um, you cast me into the deep, and you surrounded me with your waves, your billows passed over me. There's this recognition that all of this is taking place because God is the one at work. What is God trying to accomplish? That's an important question. Is God just messing with someone? <clears throat> I mean, some people could come to that conclusion. I think it has. Like, oh yeah, God just likes to toy with people. That's really, I believe, not at all what is at the heart of this passage. What's taking place is that God has called Jonah to preach grace to a people. He says, go to Nineveh and preach grace. Now, what do I mean by preaching grace? He, he says, call out their wickedness. And when they turn to me, their life is filled with grace. But God knew, and honestly, I don't think Jonah was in the know on this one. God knew Jonah wasn't going to do it. Why? <coughs> Jonah didn't get grace. Jonah had no fundamental understanding of what it was he was about to even preach to the people in Nineveh. And God's like, I'm going to orchestrate something to take place in your life. Where you are going to begin. Now, don't, don't give me the wrong way. You'll see the rest of our story in chapters 3 and 4. He didn't get it 100%. But God's like, I'm going to help you begin to understand this thing called grace. Now, why is death the first step? I think we have to ask that of the passage. Why did God have to throw him into the depth of the sea? I mean, it sounds pretty horrible. What is taking place for him? I mean, he assumes that he is dead, that his life is over. The weeds have wrapped around his head, he says. Here's what I think. Death strips away the notion that you have something to offer to God. It's the front hallway into the room of grace. It's a journey down. It's an elevator. You have to see that you have nothing to offer to God to really understand, begin to understand grace. Let's think of it this way. <clears throat> it's possible, because of our sinful human hearts, so that I'm admitting there's a prerequisite to this, there's a, a sinfulness in the heart of human beings, not just in the actions they perform, but something the Bible calls original sin. And because of that, that stain that brokenness. The first person you help, you feel like you have something to offer to God. Honestly, the first bunny 
Then he wants a bunny for Christmas. Do any of y'all want bunnies? Anybody else in here want a bunny? <laughs> Her tendency is going to be to love on that bunny. And she's going to feed it. And she's going to take care of it. And it's going to live, probably. <laughs> but she's going to have a notion in her head, because she's a human being, that she has done something good. And you know what? She has. Or maybe it's the first old lady that someone helps across the street. Or for you, I don't know what your particular thing might be, the thing that you look to to say, you know what? I'm a pretty darn decent person. Death, the great leveler, helps to strip us away from some of those notions. Because the notion that we get when we combine, hey, I've done some good stuff, and I'm also a sinful person. When they combine together, what you get is, hey, God, guess what? You owe me. And when he's now in our debt, it is exceptionally difficult for us to understand or grasp or be excited by or be bowled over by grace. Because the things, the good things that happen in our life are like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I should get this plus 25 more, right? And the things in our life are like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I deserve so much more than this. God, I cannot believe you brought this into my life. You owe me. I've been so good. I attend church occasionally. I am nice to my neighbors. Why in the world would you bring these things into my life? But again, death. Again, death. Death says no. It says no. God is saying everything you have, every good deed you've ever performed in your life is because I was at work in your own heart. It is all from me, and it is all because of me, and it is all to me. And again, death is just simply a reminder of that. And that's why Jesus said you've got to die. The seed has to fall into the ground, and it has to die for there to be actually life that pops out of it. For the tree to actually begin to grow. It's something the reformers, or people in this reformed tradition that our church is in, it's, that's their tradition we're in, many of the great scholars and teachers of our tradition have said, look, you not only, when you come to God, not only have to repent or turn away from the bad things you've done in your life, you must repent and turn away from the good things that you've done. Because those are the things that are truly keeping you from the throne room of God. It is a strange concept, I'll admit it. And y'all, I'll, I'll admit something else. I don't get all of this. There is some really deep, phenomenal things happening in this passage. It's touching the void. It's also called the Holy Grail. Now, I'm not talking about the thing that makes you live all, you know, the actual Holy Grail like Monty Python went. But I think, honestly, that grace, the grace that God is teaching Jonah here, is that thing that Jesus also talked about when he said there was this pearl of great price. Jesus describes what it is that Jonah found in the belly of the whale by saying this, again, this is in chapter 13 of Matthew. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. 
always had trouble. I don't know about you. You may not be like me. I admit it. But I've always had trouble understanding that passage. What could Jesus possibly be offering that I would go and sell everything I have? It makes my heart dread to think that God would call me to sell everything I have. Right? I'm like, what could it possibly be? What could be that good? Another way he says it is, again, this is the same passage from chapter 13 of Matthew. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. Jesus is getting across. When, when you find grace, when you begin to find it, begin, we'll just say that, it is going to be like the scientist who found dinosaur bones in his backyard. You're going to go, this is the discovery of a lifetime. I'm never going to find something greater than what I've just found. That's the promise that Jesus makes, and I think it's exactly the journey that Jonah is on as he goes down under the water in the very belly of the whale. Okay. Now, i got to back myself up here. I'm selling something big here, I know, this morning. And I know this passage is absolutely deep, literally deep. Death is the hallway, the gateway, the first step towards discovering this amazing thing, this pearl of great price. Well, what is it? What is this pearl? Let's dive right in. Point two, the discovery. What is grace? What is it we're talking about here? What is God trying through all of these circumstances to actually get Jonah to begin to understand? Here's a definition. Ready? Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated person. Okay? Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated person. Another way to say it, it is being let in. Jonah gets it across in our passage. When he says, yet... Did you, did you see the yes? I tried to highlight them when I was reading from it. He says, I am driven away, verse 4. I'm driven away from your sight. He's trying to get across. Death is sending me away from you, God. I don't deserve to be in your presence. There's nothing in me that could possibly get near you. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. That's a way of expressing I'm going to get close to God. I'm going to come into his holy temple. Verse 5. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Essentially, the, the end point of death. Sheol, as they called it in the Old Testament. I went down there and it looked like it was going to be forever. Looks like I was toast. I was dead. It was over. There's nothing more. Yet, you brought me you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. There is a fundamental non-causality when it comes to grace. Did you catch that part? I am 
horrible. My sins are worse than I could ever possibly begin to imagine. Yet, God loves me more than I dared hope or dream. There's an, always an and yet. And yet, it is at the heart of grace. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of our passage. Well, let's talk about some more. Being let in. Being let in. Let in to the presence of God is what all of our hearts ultimately long for. I caught myself up this week with this very concept when Christy came home on Friday morning. And she had just been at the convocation for the school that our son, Hunter, he's our oldest. Our two younger kids go to public school. Hunter just started his first year at this private school called Covenant School. I grew up going to schools a lot like Covenant. And then, in fact, I went to college at a school that was also expensive and private and Christian. Okay? So, there, there. The revelation's out. Um, and God called me into ministry right out of my senior year of college. And in an instant, all of the privilege that comes along with those things, all of the, the helpful letting in that money does for you in life was taken away from me. Money lets you in, y'all. Have you figured that out? We know as human beings, if I make a lot of money, I can finally get let into some of those places I always wanted to be let into, right? The Sky Lounge at the airport. Uh, I tried to get in. I tried to be like, I have a Miles card. And they're like, yeah, but it's not the gold Miles card. Sir, we're going to have to ask you to walk the other direction and put your head down and act like you were never here. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we gate our communities. Think about it. Is that silly or what? Somebody, obviously, somebody could break in and get to those, those houses just like they could anywhere else. But we gate it just at the place where you can drive in. Because we just need to say, you're special if you get let in here. Right? We... we, we we build things in our lives. A, a country club. What's the point of a country club? Being let in to play. Right? You get let in to just go and play in the woods. Ha! Hit a ball on grass. <laughs> you gotta pay a lot of money to do that, though. How about security clearance? Right? In D.C., this is a big deal. Charlottesville, not as big of a deal. D.C., when we went up there, we interviewed for a job up there. It was like, people were like, who do you know? And we were like, no one. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, they were like, oh yeah, well, I was in a conference yesterday with, you know, they would name off three famous politicians they were in a conference with the other day. And then, if somebody wasn't in a conference with somebody famous that lived in Washington, D.C., they would say, yeah, well, I'm level four. Security clearance. Oh, gosh. You must know all of our nation's secrets then, Right? I don't even know what all the levels are. Is anybody here in government, in that kind of stuff? Matt, yes. What's the highest level? Five. Five, yep. Five. That's the inner circle, isn't it? Wait, I was supposed to say that. What's that? Then I have six. Yes, six. God gives us six, right? We're getting to that. That's the big payoff here at the end. Okay, how about being led into a church? How about being led into a community, right? Is it something where God's grace 
would open the doors to absolutely anyone who walked in, or are there certain hurdles you've got to get past? Is there a gate? Every church has to answer this question. Ours does too. We need to ask this question a lot. Do we have a gate that people have to get let through, let in, to become a part of things? How about a home? Let's get more personal. Right? What we're talking about this morning, ultimately, grace is like cosmic hospitality. It's like divine hospitality, being let into the very presence of the living God. We don't deserve it. He's unobligated to give it to us. And yet, for some reason, we read throughout the scriptures, here in Jonah, and all through the Old and New Testament, God lets people in. It's crazy. They don't deserve to be let in. He has no obligation to let them in. And yet, what we read about is him constantly letting people in. The most powerful one of all, personal, I should say, is being let in by another person. This can be the divulging of secrets. You find out the history. Someone finally may reveal to you the history of their whole life. Their whole life. Everything that's happened to them, good and bad. That's being let in. Could be something physical, a hug. A hug is letting someone into your personal space. Or, in the most intimate sense, and don't worry, I'm not going to talk about sex here. I'm just going to say <laughs> there's a sexual sense in which this is true. Being let in, just leave it there. You're going to have to go ahead and run with that one on yourself. But it's important for us to acknowledge that because it's one of the great gifts of God. Because ultimately what we're looking for, what we're longing for is some form of intimacy. That's what our hearts really want at the end of the day. You think you want to excel in your career. You think you want a lot of money. You think you want your kids to behave. You think you want your parents not to suffer. You have all these wants and, and dreams, and that's not a bad thing at all. But it's not ultimately what your heart wants. Ultimately what your heart wants is to be let in by the only one that matters. There's only one. There's only one inner circle that matters. It's called the Trinity. And the Bible promises us, this is the one that your heart is longing for. You're trying to buy it with your money. You can't. You're going to go ahead, go into the Sky Lounge at the airport, at, the, at you know, whatever, LAX. Go, go into the gated community. Go buy the amazing car that everybody's fascinated with, right? It will not fill the void. It can't. Never could. Now, let me conclude my story about convocation of covenant. I'm, that was a long digression. <laughs> So Christy is like, this is amazing. She works in the public schools, and she was like, they prayed at the convocation. They, she was just blown away. We sang praise songs. She's like, this is amazing. I can't believe it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I was like, who'd you see there? And she's like, oh, I saw so-and-so. I was like, yep. I was like, check. Yeah, they got a lot more than we do. Who else did you see there? Oh, yep, check. They got a lot more than we do. And I was like, she came home and I was like, my goodness, I've got a lot of resentment in my heart. I should be super excited by this convocation, but this is our first kid entering for his first time into that gate, that circle. And it's hard for me. Because God, I, I was mad when God called me into ministry. He called all of my friends from college, 
we were all in that same circle, and they are all literally in almost million-dollar houses and driving things like Porsche Cayennes. I've driven one. Hey, you want to drive it? Yeah. <laughs> Teslas also, by the way. And I was like, Lord, seriously? <laughs> if that's over, you're just going to take, that's just gone forever? Um, but I was reminded. Lord, the Lord had me go through that to be like, Nathan, stop resenting it. Be excited for your son. This is an incredible privilege. This is a moment. I provided this uh, for him. Um, you need to check your own heart. And what God essentially was saying to me was, you don't get grace. You just don't. And now, and he's right. If, if, if I did, the, those resentments begin to go away. And that's where we're going to conclude with this morning. We're going to conclude with the third point, and that is the journey up. Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, we are let into the very presence of God. Is what we're represented by the fact that the curtain was torn as Jesus was being sacrificed on the cross, and God was saying to us, Come on in! I want to be with you. And I want to love you with an intimate love that your heart has always longed for. You've been trying to buy it, and you can't buy it. But I'm going to provide a way through Jesus Christ. You don't deserve it. I'm not obligated to give it to you. It's called grace. Now, a quick side point as we dive into the last piece here. And this is a common misconception. Is God lax? People have asked that question. I ask myself that question sometimes. Is God just like, eh, whatever, it doesn't really matter what you've done. You know, it's fine. Let's just come on in. Ollie, ollie, on free. Yes and no. Yes and no. Grace, real grace. If you're able to grasp it through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you realize it is unbelievably costly. The cost is unfathomably high. So it is not laxity. And this is why some people chafe against this concept that God has anger, that God has wrath, and that Jesus needed to come to turn away the wrath of God. And they're like, what a, what a primitive, ridiculous concept. You know, you see it even here in Jonah. God caused the storm to get kicked up. You know, what a, what a vindictive, wrathful God that he must worship. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The opposite of love is not anger. It is indifference. Anger is actually something you want from someone who truly loves you. If your parents never got angry at the sin that you brought into your life and that you brought into your home, they didn't really love you. Because it would break their heart if you got addicted to drugs or you got you know, yourself arrested and put into prison, it would break their heart. Not because they don't like you or they're just mad at you or you're just such a bad person. No, no, no. They love you and they want to see good in your life. Anger is an expression of that love. Now, of course, as human beings, we take it way too far and we do terrible things with that anger. But God's anger is righteous and just and good. He loves us so much that he comes after us and 
he finds us, and yet he gives us grace. Okay. Finally, the journey up. We go down through death, which is a mystery. We discover the grace in the belly of the whale, or a big fish. And the journey up is opening our world to this thing called grace. He says it in the passage. Jonah does. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Another translation for steadfast love is grace. And his point is, you. one of the things that will happen when you get grace, when you begin to understand grace, is the breaking of idols in your life. Not because the preacher stood up here and was like, y'all caught, quit doing that bad stuff. I know y'all are addicted to some things and you just need to stop. You know, and I know you're looking at bad things and you just need to stop. And I know that you spend money on things you shouldn't spend it on and you just need to stop. And I know you're not helping out the poor and you need to do it. You know, right. There's this guilt that can come from just, just stop the idols in your life, people. That's not at all how the Lord approaches it. The Lord approaches it completely different. And, and the Bible approaches it completely different. And it's like this. Well, it's like what Jonah said. You want more of this absolutely incredible grace, this intimacy that your heart really longs for. You've got to just move the idols out of the way. He's not just, shame, shame, shame on you. You need more shame, and then you're gonna be, you'll do better occasionally. No, you've tried that. i tried this. Yeah, shame, guilt. Yeah, how long does that last? About 36 hours for me, maybe longer for you. Mm-hmm. No, no. He says, the idols are in the way of my grace. You want more of this grace. It's so good. You need more of this grace. Move the idols out of the way. Here's how my brain imagined this this morning. And I'm going to end with this. I have a few more points, but we'll just do it next week. we got week two anyway. Um, oh, it's so good. Oh, I love this passage. I was like, okay, here, here's how it is. It's like a treasure chest, right? You go down through death. You make this discovery, the treasures of God's grace. And for me, I pictured it as an actual treasure chest in my bathroom. That's just how it came. So sorry. And I was like, okay, there's two things that I can do with God's grace. Idolatry, and I mean this, is taking God's grace and cheapening it. That's what it does in our life. It takes God's grace. He still gives it. There's wads of cash in that treasure chest on the sink of my bathroom. And I pull out handfuls of it. And when I bring the idols into my life and I cheapen the grace, it's like me taking over the toilet and being like... There you go. I have to do the sound effect. Just flushing it. But grace truly comes alive in our life. Catch this. And I really believe this. I think it's in the scriptures. When we take wads of that cash and give it away, that's when we discover the joy and the beauty of God's grace when we share it. When we give it away. And that's what God is trying to direct to happen in Jonah's life. He's like, Jonah, if you could just see it. Your heart is going to burst if you will take the wads of the cash of my grace. It's sort of a weird analogy. Run with it. 
and you give it to the people in Nineveh. Go and offer it to them. You're going to discover new depths of my grace. Because you're going to give grace. And he's like, and it will destroy your bigotry in the process. Jonah was a bigot, big time. He was. He's like, I'm special because of my upbringing, because of my race. And I cannot go to those people over there. Grace destroys it. Grace destroys it. Grace will come alive in your life as you give it away. I thought about this morning. I got cranky. Sunday morning, a lot has to happen to get this church service off the ground. And I, I saw my heart getting angry and cranky. And I was like, I'm going to flush some bills down the toilet. And God's like, stop it, Nathan. Give, you give grace. You hug when you don't want to hug. You share when you don't want to share. You love when you don't want to love. It's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, what credit is to you if you love those who love you? If you want to know if grace has moved into the depths of your heart, see if you can love your enemies. See if you can love your enemies. Not, not tolerate. Not be in the same room. Love your enemies. Y'all, this table is such a fantastic picture of grace. We are going to now celebrate a meal that expresses to us the opening, the tearing of the veil. His body was torn so that the veil could be torn so that we could be let in. Let's celebrate together. But let me pray first as the kid has come in. Lord God,